Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. On today's podcast, Laurel, a member of our community, is sharing her story. We started with her story last week so that you can hear her entire story. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, listen to that first and then join us here. At the end of last week's episode, we talked about how she first discovered her husband's porn use. So we're jumping in right there. After this discovery, what's the impact to your marriage at this point? Well, the porn thing came up on and off for years, and he would go through periods where it seemed like he wasn't using it, and then he would start using it again, and I'd find more stuff on the browser. Eventually, I said, look, you can't continue to use a computer that also belongs to me. You need to get your own laptop. If you need to do this from time to time, that's not okay with me. And I still have a problem with it. And it still makes me feel terrible about myself as a wife and that I'm not good enough or something. But I can't put my own artistic work at risk. You need to have your own laptop. So from that point on, I didn't see what he was doing. But what I did is notice a pattern during these periods. When he would start using pornography, he would start getting very cold towards me. He would be very hostile. He had a lot of contempt. His mouth was in a tight line most of the time when he was around me. His body was tense. Sometimes his fists were clenched. Like He was clearly just so disgusted and just disappointed that he was in my presence and that I was his wife. There was so much anger and contempt. It was palpable for periods of time whenever he started using porn. You use this phrase that I love, the reconciliation industrial complex. I think that's an awesome phrase. I call it the porn addiction recovery industrial complex sometimes. Where does this come into play? The reconciliation? Is it a porn addiction recovery situation or through your church or therapy? So that actually happened after he moved out. And I want to explain a little bit about what occurred. We were married for 18 years at that point. I had lost both of my parents very close together. I had dealt with both of their illnesses and deaths in a very short span of a few years. And during this time, while I was going through all of this, 
instead of being a loving, supportive husband, he was using porn, he was cheating and gaslighting me about it and blaming me. And the reconciliation industrial complex happened for me after he left. And he left to go be with his mistress, who was his direct employee. And I had just lost my father very shortly before. I was dealing with a nightmare of an estate situation. And I just literally couldn't manage another loss. I, I couldn't handle the absolute destruction of my entire life, losing both parents, losing my childhood home, having this nightmare going on, and then losing my marriage and losing my new home that we had just bought together. It seemed unmanageable. So I got involved with this group that I found online for saving marriages. And I ended up basically getting sucked into what I would call a cult um, for about a year and a couple of months. My husband's behavior though continued to escalate during this period and it became more and more apparent to me how dangerously abusive he was. And that's when I started to wake up about this reconciliation industrial complex as well because they also minimized a lot of the behavior. They gaslit me. It was a, it was a really terrible experience overall. Was this a Christian organization? They claim to be, yes. And was it therapeutic or more like God, biblical centered, Christ can do everything sort of thing? So funny you should ask that. They say that they are not a faith-based organization, but they really are. A lot of the stuff that they're preaching is very faith-based. And what's interesting about this is this experience hooked into some of the prior gaslighting that I had been exposed to as a Christian woman telling me how I need to do and be in my marriage. And there was a particular book that I won't mention that I found to be very damaging. So we have context, even though we're not seeing the title of the book. This book is about how if you pray enough, you can solve any problem, essentially. That's the gist of it, is that wives, if you just pray enough for your husbands in the right way and you fast and you pray and you do all the things, then you can fix all his problems with his job, with his disappointment in life, with his self-esteem, with everything. Like it's your responsibility as a wife to make things okay for him. And one of the primary ways you do that is by praying right. And if you don't pray right, well, you still have problems. And so if you still have problems, you must not be praying right. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh. Yes. Okay. And this group that I got hooked into pulled on some of that other stuff because they were, you know, saying all these things that were biblical quotes and biblical references about how we're supposed to be in marriage. And it's basically teaching people that they need to be doormats that they need to put up with all of this terrible behavior because if they hold their spouse accountable or say anything to them, that they're just going to chase that person away. And so therefore, again, the responsibility is all placed on the one partner to just figure out the puzzle of the other person's abusiveness. And that is the cheating. That is everything else that goes along with that. It's actually a manual for how to comply 
with abuse. Yes, and that's what this group was. And it was so incredibly damaging for me, but I didn't see it at the time. So here's another thing that's important because a lot of the abuse I experienced was covert. I didn't understand that I was in an abusive marriage. I knew that some of the rage attacks and the other things were abuse. And I knew like the name calling and things, those were abuse, but most of the abuse was covert. And I didn't know what it was. And because he convinced me that there was something wrong with me, he spent a lot of time in the marriage telling me there was something wrong with me and I needed therapy. And my history of childhood abuse made me this and made me that. I spent almost the whole marriage in therapy, like you said, and yet it was still never enough. And so I was constantly pretzeling myself to just do and be whatever I needed to do and be to be enough and be right. And this reconciliation group fed into this because it capitalized on the belief that you need to do and be enough for this abusive partner. Now they say that they don't support abuse in marriage, but they absolutely do. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Because nothing is abuse, apparently. If you're being abused, then this does not apply to you. Like, that's a different situation. In our group, we're reconciling. And if he's unkind or if he lies a little bit, you just need to be safer so that he feels like he can tell the truth. Oh, my gosh. Yes, that's exactly what they said. Right. So they're, 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 they're trying to say that everything you're experiencing isn't actual abuse. If you were actually being abused, then this probably wouldn't be right for you. But since you're not then you just need to be better. Correct. Yeah. You need to work on your spiritual health. You need to work on your emotional attractiveness, your spiritual attractiveness, your physical attractiveness. You need to never hold him accountable. You don't want to say anything that's going to upset him or else it's your fault that he doesn't come home. You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's absolutely that. Women who aren't being abused don't need to go to stuff like that. That's the crazy thing is generally speaking, women who are in healthy Marriages where they feel loved and appreciated and cherished, they're not going to reconciliation camps. Correct. They're not trying to get porn addiction recovery services. They don't know that, generally speaking, the majority of the population of women that they're quote unquote trying to help are abuse victims. And these folks say, oh, well, just like you said, if you're in an abusive marriage, this doesn't, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about you. But Actually, they are enabling that very same abuse. I find that same trouble with real harm, right? So people will say things like if a rape victim, for example, says, well, I was raped. And then they get into the details of it and they're like, oh, he was your husband. And oh, you didn't scream and yell and scratch his eyes out. Well, then you weren't actually raped. And you saying that you were raped hurts real rape victims. Right. As if there's some real rape victim out there who has experienced it and you did not. So you didn't experience a real rape when you did. 
it was real rape. It was real abuse. So them saying like, oh, well, we don't want to call that abuse. This is just regular marriage stuff. And we don't want to harm. If we do call it abuse, that's going to hurt real abuse victims. In the meantime, they're actually hurting actual abuse victims in trying to discount the abuse they're experiencing. Correct. And I thought because he hadn't hit me yet, that it wasn't actual abuse. And I was so ashamed and so gaslit. I believed that he had been this amazing, beautiful, kind, strong, patient person, and that I was so messed up that I had turned him into this abusive person, that it was my fault, that the real him was the him that I thought that I married, the him that I dated. That's who I thought the real him was, and that it was because of my trauma and my past, which he told me all the time it was, that he was the way he was. So I never told anyone during my marriage about any of the things that went on at home, including the overt rage attacks where he would throw things, break things, like stuff that was clearly abusive. I didn't say anything to anyone until after he moved out. And I told one person after he moved out just a couple of small things. And that person said, oh my gosh, that's abuse. That's abuse. And I thought, well, that can't be true. Like that can't be right. Like I, I can't have been in an abusive marriage. And I was so confused. I started looking stuff up and I got Lundy Bancroft's book and I got even more confused and I called the hotline and I shared with them a few of the things that I'd been through. And they said, oh my gosh, this is abuse. This is abuse. This is abuse. And when I shared more things, this is abuse. This is abuse. And that's when I came to understand how very abusive my marriage had been. I wish that instead of the reconciliation stuff, instead of the porn addiction recovery stuff or sex addiction recovery or any of that, that they would just, first of all, do a big introduction to what abuse is. And then stay there. <laughs> Don't ever go anywhere else, right? Just just stick with, this is what abuse is. This is how it impacts you. This is how to set boundaries around it. Like, just abuse. There's no other way around it. There's no way to avoid it. You can't avoid it by calling it, you know, something else. It is just abuse. I'm so grateful that you got to that point. You mentioned that in one of our videos, one of the videos at btr.org helped you recognize um, covert physical abuse. Can you talk about that? So for example, and also reading Lundy Bancroft's book helped with that. I didn't know that violence against objects was part of physical abuse. So that was one thing that I heard in that video. Was this on TikTok or on Instagram? I saw it on Facebook, um, but I think you'd posted it to multiple platforms. So some of the things that I made notes about that happened to me that some of which were mentioned in that video um, were quote unquote, playing, wrestling me, grabbing me, and, and sometimes hurting me in his quote unquote play, tearing my clothing, tickling me when I asked him to stop, kissing me forcefully at times so that I couldn't breathe and I asked him to stop, having accidents, and I'm putting that word in quotes too, like claiming he accidentally stepped on me and it happened repeatedly or accidentally running into me. It got so bad that I started being hyper vigilant about 
being aware of where his body was in space at all times, because I was constantly afraid he was going to hurt me by stepping on me or running into me or something else like that. But looking back, I noticed that he didn't seem to have that problem with anyone else, not in the community, not at work. He never mentioned that happening at work. I never saw it happen. People didn't know him as like a klutz or clumsy or something. No, I never saw him at any of the arts things running into people. So the behavior he only did with me. So that was eye-opening to me when I heard about some of that in the video. Another thing, when we were on a trip, he kept like running me off the road, so to speak. And I would say to him, hey, you know, you're, you're running me into fire hydrants, you're running me into trees, you're running me into this stuff. Could you please leave a little more space for my body so that I could have enough space to walk? But he kept doing it. And it wasn't until like the fifth or sixth time that I had to say, hey, it's still happening. Could you please leave enough space for my body that I realized it was intentional? Driving the car, he would wreck with me inside it. When we would be having a disagreement in the car, he would start getting really angry and he would start accelerating and driving in a way that I thought he would wreck the car with me in it. Breaking and damaging my things. He also intentionally, he admitted that he intentionally exposed me to germs for the purpose of making me sick. I have some immune issues, which he knew about before we ever got married. And I said, like, if you're sick, please don't kiss me. If you have an intestinal illness, please don't handle food. But he did it on purpose and lied about not feeling well or handled food anyway. And then I would be sick for weeks and he wouldn't really feel bad except for like maybe a day or two. And he also admitted before he moved out that he was intentionally going around the house, wiping germs on the surfaces of things I had to handle for my healthcare needs for the purpose of making me sick. So he admitted to that. There were situations near the end where he was intentionally locking me out of the house despite me asking him to stop doing it. So a lot of things like that. Mm -hmm. When you say admit, I think this is an interesting concept because they do everything with a, a goal in mind. They have an outcome that they're going for. So when they admit something, quote unquote, I believe that it's intentional in order to get some type of result. And um, in that case, sounds like he wanted you to know he was doing that either to hurt you or to get you to kick him out or you know some type of goal is there any do you have any idea of what his goal was in in telling you that I didn't at the time but looking back on it I believe he was trying to control me and what he wanted was because he was cheating with his direct employee at the time. This was just after I had lost my father and I lost my mother before. And he didn't want to be the quote unquote bad guy, I think is what was going on. So I think he wanted me to be the bad guy and to tell him that I wanted a divorce so that he wouldn't have to feel guilty or bear any responsibility. And like you said earlier about the impression management, it was very important to him to be perceived by the community as such a good guy that I believe he was trying to force my hand 
so that he could say he was the victim of the Mm -hmm. whole situation. That's what happened to me. I think he was lying about porn and then suddenly he was saying, I used porn. I used it today. And I I thought he was using a like a new, right? Like that he had been sober, quote unquote, for years and then suddenly he's using it again. I don't think that was the case. I think he was using it the whole time, but then he there was a strategic reason in his mind why he was telling me then. And the reason was the same thing. I think he wanted me to kick him out. Every single thing that they say, it's important to think, what is the goal here? Rather than thinking, oh, he admitted to this, so maybe he's changing. No, think, what is his aim in doing this? What what does he want the end result to be? When they get to the point where they want to move on, they want us to be the ones to kick them out. They don't want to do it because then they look like the bad guy. Yeah. And in addition to that, he wanted to make sure that I understood that he thought I was a piece of garbage. And there were many other things that he did both before that time and then after that time to make it clear to me that he was discarding me. He was throwing me away. I was trash. I meant nothing to him. The past 27 years we'd known each other were meaningless. So he made that very clear over and over and over that I was trash and he was throwing me away. Laurel and I are going to take a break and we will be back to continue her story next week. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 